At this time, three of our young ministers, we have many young ministers in our school of ministry, the first one. Now, some are a little older, but God is calling them too. I love how God is calling 18-year-olds and 58-year-olds to the ministry. They both have a call, amen? In our school of ministry, we have a lot of ministers that are being birthed here. It is a fulfillment of prophecy that God spoke to me in Nashville, Tennessee, before I even became your pastor. There's some things that I've spoken from the pulpit lately that I know some do not believe. I made a statement that God would send ministers and ministries that are sitting dormant on their churches and young people where the word of God is not being preached nor there's a platform for them to be used for ministry that God would take that one talent just like he did in the book of Matthew and give it to another that's not ashamed to use them and put them on a stage and say preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's taking place. I told you that God would send us resources to help do the ministry today in one of our local establishments. As Jessica and I was counseling with a young lady about situations in her life, two cooks came out from the back of the restaurant, made their way to African-American men and laid their ties on my t at the table where we were sitting and said, Bishop, would you receive our ties? I don't know them. I've just seen them before. I never had a conversation with them. But they said, we've heard about the church and we heard about the work that you're doing and we just want to be a part of what God's doing. We're working on Sunday, but would you receive our offering at North Wahala? Absolutely, we will. I'm taking them out to breakfast this week and remind them and let them know who we are and what we're about. And if they see fit to send their resources here, we see fit to honor them and pastor them in the love of Jesus Christ. You can't outgive God when you're doing the work of God, amen? That's the book of Acts that's in front of us. Tonight, another sign of the book of Acts is ministers being raised up. At this time, three of our young ministers are coming, one after the other. They will transition well. Here's what I'm asking you tonight. Two things. One, I want you to worship with them. I want you to worship with them like it's the last sermon you're ever going to hear. And then two, when you leave here, I don't want you to compare them to each other. They are uniquely different. They're ordained by God with specific callings, unique callings, and they're going to use their talent and their calling different. And I don't want to compare them. That's not what this is about. This is to take them in a platform, an old school platform that really our general overseers brought back to share with them a topic that they will preach to you about the love of God. So in a few moments, Victoria, Lacey, and TJ, we're honored to have you a part of the North Wahala Church of God. Preach men and women of God and let the Holy Ghost guide you. Amen. Can we give them honor? Amen. One more time, if you would stand with me, I'm going to read the scripture. That way, when they come, they will flow. They have eight minutes to speak upon the topic. That was a sign. They will transition well. And then at the end, Lacey will lead us as the Holy Ghost desires in the altar. And I'm believing that God is going to flood this altar. Let's read from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, how shall he not with also freely give us all things? He shall bring a charge, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? Is it Christ who died? Or furthermore, is also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? We talked about that this morning, didn't we? Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come shall do what? No height, no death, no any other created thing shall what? Be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is their assigned text. After I pray and as I'm praying, one shall come. These men and women of God are going to preach to you the word of God. Receive it. Receive it from the throne room of God and let's give honor to our young people as they present to us the great gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we have prepared ourselves. They are coming now. These are the first of many. This will not be the last one. The first of many ministers from our church. The baton that was handed to me was a good baton of ministry, faithful ministry that was been brought in this church I'm just the one now that's standing on the back of former ministers and deacons and Sunday school teachers and children's pastors and youth pastors. And I stand on their shoulders to raise up another generation that's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, as a pastor of this church, I pray for a heavy anointing to be upon these ministers, my ministers, our ministers. God, I pray that you will call heaven and beckon heaven. And as angels give attention, let new voices declare the word of God with power and with anointing. Let them proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That he died, was placed in the grave, and arose on the third day and lives forevermore. And because he lives, we shall live. Now, God, at this time, give ear, oh great God. Give a fresh anointing in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so one thing that stood out to me um, when he gave us these scriptures was we are more than conquerors. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I needed to be reminded of that because there's a lot of things I go through. I'm like, I don't really feel that victorious in this situation I'm dealing with. But um, if you look at the background of the text, you're seeing Paul write to Rome they know how to be conquerors, right? Like we read it, you learn it in school. Um, but it's sort of a different aspect of conquering with love. They didn't understand what it meant to conquer with love versus a sword, like original fighting. Um, he's sort of going for the basics here. He's not rebuking the church. He's not praising the church. He just wants basic theology, like give you the basic of what it means. Um, so in um, where it says 837, we're more than conquerors. To me, I just couldn't get past that. I just knew that was something I had to talk about. Um, a lot of times we feel less than conquerors. We feel like, okay, why am I going through this? Like, I don't feel strong at all. Like, I feel like I'm this big. Um, but to me, I feel like some things we go through, like divorce, sickness, finances, anxiety, fear, all of us have been touched by something in that realm. So there's a lot of times we're like, okay, well, am I going to be victorious in this situation? Is my kid ever going to show up to church? Like I'm praying and I'm praying and they're just not here. Like, God, I don't hear you. But um, if you look here, go back to 2 Corinthians. It talks about the, the trials of Paul. Okay, Paul's talking about being more than a conqueror, but it kind of means nothing if he's never been through anything, right? So it, to me, if I'm standing up here and I've never been through anything, I'm like, God provides, God's a healer. Well, if I've not been provided for and I've not been healed, I really can't 
attest to that, right? Whereas Paul, you see time and time, and I made a list here. He's been, he was beaten, he was arrested, he was sent to prison, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked three times. You figured after the first time, it'd be like, okay, God. Like the third time, you're like, okay, what's going on here? He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was in pain. Like to me, he didn't come from a place of perfectness. And I feel like a lot of times when we stand up here, we feel like we have to have it all together. And we, you know, I can't stand up here if I don't have my life perfect. Well, Paul's in a test of that. He went through all kinds of stuff and made it through. So when he says we're more than conquerors, he means it because he's been through it. He made it through the storm. And to me, a story I was told a couple years ago, and it always stands out to me when I read this first story of the boxer. You might have already heard it. But a boxer goes into a ring and he fights his opponent. The prize is a $2 million check, let's say. He fights, blood, sweat, and tears. He goes into extra rounds, I guess that's what they're called. But he, you know, he just pours his heart out on the mat and he gets home and he hands the check over to his wife. Okay, he's the conqueror. Like he fought, his blood, sweat, and tears, his years of training, everything went into that. But she's more than a conqueror because she didn't have to fight. And to me, when I read this, I think there's a lot of things in life. We are more than conquerors, not to say, I feel like a lot of times it's cliche where we're like, okay, well, here's a sticky note in my car or on my window. I'm more than a conqueror. But do we really understand what that means? Like Christ went through all that for us. He was the conqueror. We're more than conquerors. So anytime I see this, I like, I get excited because as soon as I heard that, that story, I was like, I never thought of it that way. That, you know, a lot of times the things we go through, guaranteed somebody in this room's been through it. Guaranteed Christ has been through it. So a lot of times... When we say we're more than conquerors, it's just sort of a motivational thing. But when we really look at it, I don't know. I just like that analogy because I'm like, okay, well, that sort of makes sense because she didn't fight for that. It wasn't something she had to fight for. Just like we don't have to fight for our salvation. It was taken care of 2,000 years ago. And I feel like a lot of times we feel like we have to prove our salvation. Well, if I just give enough money, well, if I just show up to church enough, if I just do all this, we feel like we have to prove ourselves. But that was taken care of. Like we shouldn't even be dealing with that anymore. Like we we should be knowing that we are more than conquerors. And to me, it just a perfect mirror image of the cross. He's in there, blood, sweat, and tears. He went through, that was ours. That was mine. That was for the stuff I've been through. If I was to stand up here and say, guys, I'm perfect. I've never been through anything. Sorry, you have, but I haven't, would be a lie to know that I'm as much responsible of him being on the cross as every other person in here kind of thing. Um, but I kind of like to look to context of scripture. So I went up a little bit further and um, on verse 11, it basically is talking about the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. Okay, I don't know about you, but there's been some trials I've not been able to make it through except for that verse. Because a lot of times we walk around with our head down and we think, oh, I'm never gonna get through this. I'm never gonna get through this storm. I'm never gonna overcome this. But when we really think about it, the same power, let's think about that, that rose Jesus from the dead is in us. Like we walk around with our head down all the time and we feel like we're victims and everything's coming against us, but it's time for us to be the, you know, going out. Like it's not everything's attacking us. Like we can attack things. I'm all for that. Fear, anxiety, I mean, you can go back. I mean, I'm not dealing with that kind of thing. So I feel like a lot of times we feel like we have to take stuff We don't have to take stuff. We choose to take stuff. We feel like we're not powerful enough to take stuff. But one of my illustrations I gave was, do you believe that any part of this book is a lie? No, right? Everybody would say no if if you were sane. But why do we not believe those two verses? 
right? Why do we not believe that we're more than conquerors? Why do we not believe that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us? Why do we pick and choose what we believe in? But when it comes to us being victorious and us being conquerors, we cower down and we're like, well, no, that's not me. I'm just supposed to show up to work and work and that's just gonna be it and I'm just gonna go home. There are people in your jobs that need you, that need to understand that you've been through stuff. Paul is a perfect example. He is one of my favorite people in the Bible because of all the things he's been through. It's not like he's sitting there saying, God can provide, but I have $2 million in the bank. He's not saying that. He has been through way more than some of us will ever go through. So one thing near the end of this verse, it says nothing can separate us from God's love. And it goes through lists and lists and lists. And I heard a song about that two years ago. And I was like, that's kind of strong, like to say nothing separates us. So nothing separates us from the love of God. And my favorite verse in the whole Bible is um, Romans 5, 8, for God demonstrates his own love toward us while we were yet sinners, he died for us. I hold on to that every single day. Christ didn't die for me standing right here. He died for me four years ago when I wouldn't even show up to church. Like, I feel like a lot of times we feel like we have to have it all together. And anytime I fail, I'm like, oh God, you don't love me. You, you didn't die for me. Like, I just feel like I'm just such a mess up. But then I read that verse and I realize he didn't die for me when I had it all together. He died for me when my life was falling apart where I didn't even want to step through the church doors, you know? And I don't ever want to stand up here and you not see my transparency and saying that you don't have to be anything special to be up here. You need to accept what God has called you to do. And it's not, you don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't. You can be somebody who loves dealing with a nursery. You know, you could be somebody who likes washing dishes. Like, I, I don't know. I always take this opportunity to really push you into your calling. I mean, to me, I never thought five years ago I'd be up here. I'd be like, I didn't even want to come through the doors. You know, so it's kind of hard to believe that where God can take you if you truly like submit to Him but that was just sort of where I wanted to take this. If I could leave anything with you is that you are more than conquerors. Always keep that story in the back of your mind. It helps me. I think about it when I'm dealing with stuff and I'm like more than conquerors. Oh, that, you know, we see that on notepads and sticky notes and everything. But do we really truly understand the depth of what it means kind of thing? So that was just kind of something that hit me home and I just couldn't get away from it and I was trying to change it, but I just couldn't do that. So if anything, if you leave knowing that you're more than conquerors, you can do anything. Like God, God can't keep you from anything. If he wants you to go to another country somewhere else, he'll send you. He'll give you people to give you money to go there. You know, like he'll provide if he's called you kind of thing. But that's just my perspective and where I wanted to come from. Um, I just want to pray over this and pray that somebody can use this over this next week. So if we'll buy our heads. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to come and to pour into people's life. I pray right now, God, over this next week, God, that we will be reminded that we are more, in, more than conquerors when things come up in our lives, God. I thank you, Lord, for every person in here, God. I pray that you have planted a seed to understand, God, knowing that we are more than conquerors in you, Lord. God, I pray for Lacey and TJ, God, that you would use them, give them the words to say. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. Verse 31 opens up with what then shall we say to these things? So immediately I wanted to look and see what are these things? Um, so I, I flip back through Romans uh, 1, 2, and 3 
is under, talked about we're under the judgment of God and that we stand in need. Uh, but through faith in Christ brings justification in his grace, which leads to Romans uh, at four. Uh, we see justification. Jesus already paid our debt uh, due to the cross, due to his everlasting love. Chapter five says that we've been reconciled in God. Six, seven, and eight, we have the spirit of God and now we are to the spirit of God. And so that are these things. God is for us. Looking through the verses, uh, 31, 33, 34, and 35, there's four who questions. Who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against us? Who will condemn us? And who shall separate us? Nobody. Nobody can. Nobody will. We serve a God that is greater than all of that. We serve the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and the one who is is to come. We are more than conquerors, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Romans 8 is all about the struggles that we, are, we as Christians are going to face. And the passage here summarizes all of it. No matter what comes at us, God still has our back. 35 uh, says that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. There's nothing that can take away God's love from us. He loved us and knew us uh, before we ever took our first breath. He loved us at our lowest. He's loved us at our highest. He's loved us at the most broken, and he loved us pre-salvation. There's no other love like God's. To really look at that love, um, I thought about Jonah. Jonah was a roller coaster. Um, and so I'm going to kind of, I'm in eight minutes, but I'm going to brief Jonah, that entire book, in just a, just a section. Uh, chapter one, he calls Jonah, uh, a Jew, uh, to, the, to his biggest enemies, um, get up and go. It's like a, like a French boy going to Berlin in World War II, um, going, to, going to Nineveh. And so Jonah sprints in the opposite way. Uh, he runs as far as possible as he can go. But newsflash, uh, God is the best at hide and seek that there's ever been. And so he, he sends you know, Jonah, you're a sinner and wages of death. And so the storm hits the boat, you know, and uh, chunking the cargo isn't working. They're throwing cargo. You got to chunk the profit at that point. Um, a fish swims along, picks up Jonah. You know the story. Um, a fish swims along, picks up a broken man that is running away from God. Uh, Jonah spared his life. And then we go into Jonah 2, uh, where he really turns into, Jonah has a little worship service um, at that point. And uh, verse 7 through 10 of chapter 2, he's crying out to God. Curtain closed, that's act one of Jonah, um, and the title of that is Salvation of a Sinner Ends in a Song of Praise. Act two, or, uh, act two of this little play here, chapter three, it opens up the same way as chapter one. Uh, go into Nineveh, rise up and go. Um, Jonah goes right place this time. After his praise, the, his perspective of God changes. And so when, you, when your perspective of God changes and you realize how much of a fatherly love it's like, um, it, your relationship with God completely changes. When you look at God as an owner, as a slave driver, you look at his love as completely different. You're a, you have a fear of messing up. Uh, but we see here when, when it turns to a fatherly love, that the fear of messing up is no longer there. You do things because simply he is your father, simply because he loves you and you love him. So then we go on uh, to uh, the, the disaster goes. Uh, he, he walks into Nineveh. People are getting saved. You see the king. He's stripping off. He's going sitting in ashes. And uh, the preaching of a sinner results in repentance. Act three, which is chapter four, uh, how is Jonah going to react at this point? Uh, Jonah should have been crying tears of joy. He's not dead. People are getting saved. Revival has broken out. 
Uh, but Jonah was displeased and became furious. He's mad that these people are finding God. And so we see uh, that Jonah was happy to die as long as they burned them. Uh, but now he wanted to die because they were all saved. He wanted them to burn. And so we see where he gets mad because these people are receiving the same mercy and grace that he received from God. He's mad because he, they're receiving the same love. And so we, we looking at Jonah and he's ran as far. God still loves him. He comes back to God. And now he's mad that other people were receiving this same love. And so he's getting, and, and so his mindset is I'm not like these people. I'm not like the sinners. I'm not like these people. Why are they receiving the same grace that I got? And so it's a parallel of the New Testament. You go to Matthew chapter 20, um, one through 15 here, Jesus is teaching and he's discussing uh, the workers in the field. And the owner of land makes these deal with the first group of workers at the beginning of the day. I'll pay you a Daenerys at the end of the day if you go out and work in the field. A couple hours later, a group of workers comes. He makes the same deal with them, sends them out and on and on and on. And he looks over and he sees some workers over in the side and he says, why aren't you working? And they said, nobody has hired us. Nobody has brought us in. And he made the same deal with them and sent them out into the field. So the end of the day comes, all the workers report back to get paid and the first workers see the last get paid. Well, they automatically assume, well, I'm getting paid more now. I've been working all day. They work two hours. Um, you know, it's like an hourly pay mindset. But we switched to sack. Jesus is more of a salary pay. The first workers come up and they said, uh, you know, we're receiving more. And they said, well, I made the same deal with you at the beginning that I made them. And so they received the same grace. And so we see Jonah, he's flipping back to this and he's mad. And so are you angry because Jesus is so full of love? Jonah's those first workers. We worked all day. We deserve more than the last. If God hadn't extended grace to you, you would receive nothing. They didn't deserve to be hired in the first place. They, did, they weren't nobody. They were nobodies. Jonah's, Jonah is infuriated. He's not Jonah who deserves grace. He's Jonah who is a sinful prophet who is alive only because of grace, mercy, and love. That's the beautiful thing about God's love. It's equal. It don't matter what color you are. It don't matter what social status you are. It don't matter who you are. God's love is equal across the board. We deserve nothing except for hell. You say, man, you got Jonah's mindset. You say, man, I'm not a murderer. I've never, you know, I'm not, I didn't cheat on my wife. But good people go to hell too, church. Good people go to hell too. Good people don't go to heaven. Recipients of grace go to heaven. We are nobody before God. Even with him, uh, we are no better than the next person. Uh, we're, we're equal across the board. The wages of your sin is death. But with God, expounding with love, full of grace and mercy, he has sinners. He has hope for sinners like me and you. Just like Jonah was in the, in the stomach for three days, Jesus hung for three days. And he's better than any called preacher who can save and bring people out of the way of hell. Turn to God. Turn to a gracious God. Respond to the call. Do not run like Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord. Let the love of God break you. When love truly breaks you, it not only breaks pride, but it also breaks your heart. You no longer turn your nose up at the people like Nineveh. You begin to love them. You desire to see them have the same love of God and have the same experience that you did. There's no such thing as us and them. Just a world of people who need God. People you meet are no different than you. They're just like you. They need something and they need God. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to come into your house. We thank you for your love. Um, God, we thank you for no matter how much we've done and how much we've messed up, um, no matter how far we've ran, you are still God and you're still a father 
and you still love us like a son. Father, we are your son. Father, we, we are your people. We are your children. And we thank you for that unending love, that disciplinary love, that fatherly love. God, we praise you. We love you. In your only precious name we pray. Amen. I just have three quick points, and then we'll keep going with the service. Um, I kind of broke this broke this down a little bit, and, and so it's a little bit of a different perspective. And so, but my first uh, section is just Romans eight thirty through thirty five, and I and I realized that our text was thirty one through thirty five or whatever, but I'm going back to thirty. Um, so in in this message, in this chunk. Uh, Paul is telling us who we are. So Paul is reminding us of who we are. And he says that those who are called, uh, those who are uh, predestined are called, and those who are called are justified, and those who are justified will be glorified. And then he goes and he tells us that, like, who can separate us from the love of God? Like, if God is for you, who could be against you? And he reminds us of who we are and of what what we're called to do. He reminds us that we are children of God. He says that if he didn't spare his own son, will he not graciously give you everything else? Who can condemn? Only God justifies. And so he's sitting here and he is talking us up. That's how I feel. I feel like he's like reminding us like, yeah, this is who we are. Like we are God's elect. We're God's chosen. That's right. Like nothing can separate us from God's love. If we go through trial or tribulation, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love. But then we go to the second point. Um, Actually, before I go on, I want to I want to I want to hit this point and then we're going to move on. That when God said when when he says in here that he did not spare his own son for you and for me, he made a covenant. He made a way for us to be in covenant with the Lord. So so we are who we are because we are in covenant with him. It has nothing to do with us but all to do with him and who we are. So it's not really like, oh, this is Lacey. It's really Lacey belongs to Jesus. It is whose we are. And so I want to move on to the second point that I have, and that is in Romans 8, 36, it just completely wrecked me or it completely blew my mind. I was stuck on this for a long time because it says that as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so I was like, Lord, what? What is this? Because you're telling us of who we are. We're tell- you're telling us we're your chosen ones. We're the elect. We're the ones that you died for. But yet all of a sudden we're facing death all day long. Like we're being killed. God, what is this? And so I know that there's a lot of times that Christianity is preached and it is, oh, this is some, this is just a little fairy tale thing and it's going to be easy. But I'm here to tell you that we have a responsibility in Christianity, that it is not just some walk in the park, but, but we face death all day long. But for the sake of the gospel, we face death. So we have a responsibility in Christ and we have a responsibility to share the gospel. And that, that, that responsibility, that, that is our purpose. And so I'm going back to Romans 8, 28, where it says, we know that for those whom God loves, he works all, all things together for the good, accord, for, to the good for those called according to his purpose. And so for his purpose, that is what we are called to do. That's what we're called to do. We're called 
to complete his purpose. Jesus came into this earth so that we could have freedom. He came into this earth. And in in Matthew um, 28, when we have the great commission to go and to share the gospel, to take it to all nations, that is our purpose. That is our responsibility. And in that, we face danger. In that, we face persecution and we face oppression and we face distress and attacks on all levels, on spiritual, on emotional, on physical. We, We face danger all day long and it's all for the sake of the gospel. Whenever I was reading this, it was uh, Psalms 44, 22, that's what's being quoted there, that we face death all day long. Um, but in Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, and I wanted to, when it, when it says that we are regarded as sheep being led to the slaughter, that our lives are being counted as sheep, just being killed. And so I, that made me think about how Jesus was led to the slaughter like a lamb. And in Isaiah 53, that's where, it, that's where it's quoted that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And in Luke 21, 17, it says that Jesus is saying that you will be hated for my sake. You'll be hated for my sake. And that's hard to take because Jesus is sitting here and God is, God is telling Paul to tell my people this, that you're, you're the chosen one, but yet mm, you're going to face death all day long. You're my chosen one, but you have a responsibility and that responsibility is gonna be, is gonna cost you. And so Jesus here, it says that he, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. And in life, sometimes we're oppressed and we're afflicted. We have to face these things and, and sometimes we shouldn't count, we shouldn't be like, oh, it's a surprise that this is happening to me. We should be like, okay, it's happening. Jesus said it would, so I'm ready. And so he tells us who we are and he tells us that we're this important person because our purpose is so much more important. And so I don't want to leave you on a like dreary, oh, for the sake of the gospel, you'll be killed because he continues on and he says, yet we are more than conquerors. And so I want to I wanna bring that in. That's my third point is that we are more than conquerors. No matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what it looks like through our fleshly eyes, we are more than conquerors in Him. And, I, and um, in Ephesians 3, 21 and 20, or 20 and 21, I want to just make this point here that no, that God always exceeds our expectations, right? So God always exceeds our expectations. In verse 20, he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever think or ask, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that he always exceeds our expectations, whether that is a whisper on the mountaintop like he did in 1 Kings 19, 12, or whether he is opening the ground in number 16. He always exceeds our expectations. Paul says in Philippians 1, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in that, that's, that's another scripture that's really hard to take because it's saying you may die. Like you may die, but, but I, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'll oh, go out on the hard streets of Wahala and be killed for the sake of the gospel, you know, but I am saying that there's a responsibility and sometimes we don't take that responsibility to heart. Sometimes we think that it's gonna be just this easy walk and it's not because there are days that we face that we are oppressed and that we are crushed, that we feel like we can't go. I mean, 
I know that's how I feel some days. I feel like there are days that, that we cannot even get out of bed without the love of God. But even in the midst of all of this, in the midst of knowing whose we are, in the midst of knowing our purpose, in the midst of knowing that we are more than conquerors, the thing that makes that complete is the love of God. It's the love of God, simply, simply put, because we could not do it without the love of God. We couldn't do it without the love of God. And so as I, as I close, I don't, are you going to the piano? Okay. I didn't know the schedule. <laughs> um, but as I close, I just simply want to do this. I simply want to remind you of the love of God. I want to remind you of your purpose of your responsibility. And so let's go ahead, let's just stand. And for a second, can you just check yourself? Because I think sometimes we rush into altar calls, but can you just check yourself for a second? Lord, where we stand and what we face daily, Lord, don't let that be a distraction to us. Lord, you are a good God. You are a good God and your word says that you are love and nothing can separate us from your love because nothing can separate us from you. Not tribulation, not distress, not loneliness, not the things that we face every day. Nothing can separate us from you. Lord, I just worship you. Lord, I worship you, Jesus. TJ and Vic, if y'all wanna go on and come down. If you're in this place and you need to be reminded that you are loved, you need to be reminded of whose you are. You need to be reminded that while you were running, God still loved you. That in the midst of your distress, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of where you think, Lacey, nobody could love me, God loves you. God loves you. If you're in this place and you're too comfortable, because I'm gonna tell you that that's me most days. I'm too comfortable most days. I'm too comfortable in my Christianity. If you need to be challenged, if you need to be challenged to, to recognize your responsibility in Christianity, if you don't know Jesus, this is the most important thing. If you don't know Jesus, Today could be your day. Today could be your day of salvation. If you don't know him, man, I urge you to do that. I urge you to give your life to him because it's the easiest decision you'll ever make. It carries responsibility, but it's the easiest decision you'll ever have to make. And so as they play and as they sing, if any of this has spoken to you, if you need to be reminded of the power that is within you, maybe you think, Lacey, I'm nothing. I recognize that God loves me, but God couldn't use me. If you need to be reminded of the power that is within you, like Victoria was talking about, then come. So as they sing and as we pray, I just, I ask you to come. If you need to be reminded of the love of God, come. If you need to be reminded of your responsibility, come. If you need to be reminded, that Jesus died for you, knowing that you may never choose him, come.